Hey everyone, welcome to the MNR show. I'm Ronald. And I'm Malcolm. Man, it's been a long time since we've uploaded a podcast. We've been so excited to get back into this thing. This is something that we're both so passionate about. Exactly. Like, I really miss beating you. Like, I really miss, like, <laughs> just shutting you up in arguments. I just miss that. Yeah, the win streak I've had has been, was yeah, like, there's fifth no, episode. There's it's no been, like, the win fourth, streak. You know, it's been, like the fifth one in a row. But anyway, you know, on, you know, to a more sadder topic, like, you know, throughout the last couple of days, the sport world, not even the NBA world, has been just very astonished and sad about the Kobe Bryant um, death, you know. So we just wanted to make sure that we first start off by, you know, celebrating his life. And uh, our first topic is just talking about his legacy. So, Malcolm, what do you think, like, what is Kobe's legacy to the NBA and how has he impacted the, the generations after him? Uh, it was really, it's, it's big. It was, it's big. The fact is that, you know, I'm a Celtics fan, all right, and... I am I I respect Kobe in his game. I wasn't like how other Lakers fans are of how like they just loved Kobe. Like if you think about these Lakers fans, they loved Kobe. And they wanted Kobe as they they wanted Kobe as the best player ever. They told they, they told everybody, they said, Yeah, Kobe's the best player ever. He's better than Michael Jordan. He's better than LeBron James, he's the best player ever. And, it, like, being a Celtics fan, it really, like, I used to get mad. I used to get angry just saying, like, man, look at Kobe. He's not really that good. He's good, but he's not that good. But just to think about, like, with these fans and especially players who looked up to Kobe and always thought that, you know, Kobe is one of my idols and Kobe is somebody that I just – I really love. It's just amazing. Um, his mentality is something that a lot of players looked at. The Mamba mentality, you know. Yeah, definitely. Kobe always had that mentality that he was the best player on the court. He always wanted. To, he's he came into the league and he wanted to be better than Michael Jordan. Everybody thought he was crazy. You know what I'm saying? But now, like, if you look at the years coming, you see how good of a player he was. He's not as good as Michael Jordan, but his accomplishments, he has a lot of stuff that speaks for himself. Um, just the sad part is that he had a another life to live. Like, he finished his NBA life, and he had the business world, being a father, being a family man. Like, he had all that stuff going on for the rest of his life. He was only 41. And he had a facility, the mama, uh, the mama facility. You know, he was coaching his his daughter's teams, and then like he was helping players out, not just Lakers players. He was helping every other NBA players out. And as you can see, like you see everybody, like they broke their hearts. And it's players that you know haven't even played with Kobe. And there's players who who came into the league, you know, when Kobe wasn't in the league, as in like Jason Tatum, Trey Young. Like these players looked up to him. It shows that how much Kobe had much of an impact on these players and young guys like me, like my, my brother who was a L.A. Lakers fan and other Lakers fans who are out there. And it's just a mad, it's just crazy, just a tragedy about what happened. Yeah, Kobe's, like, Kobe meant so much to sports alone. Like, not even just the NBA, but just sports as a total. Like, I, know, I saw an interview, like, Richard Sherman was like, like, I used to talk to Kobe. Like, Richard Sherman's a cornerback in the Super Bowl for the San Francisco 49ers. You have to probably think, I has a cornerback and the NBA shooting guard even have anything in common. But to get back to what Malcolm said earlier about a certain type of mentality that you have, 
Kobe was the first player of my generation of Gen Z or, you know, what our generation is called, for like under like 23 years old, to like really show us that if you like work hard, that you can really succeed and do anything. And he always believed in himself. I mean, Kobe, you know, if everyone does know, just a fun fact, does lead the NBA in most missed shots ever. But like, that's like a bad stat and a good stat because that's just so Kobe. Like, you, he's just going to take the shot regardless, contested or not. He's the the biggest hard shot, like, taker ever. He made the most hardest shots ever. Like, it was just a different mentality of never giving up, never questioning yourself. Um, it was just, Kobe's just an amazing person. But, like, Malcolm also was going into, like, his legacy off the court. Like, his biggest thing that really upset me the most was his daughter and how I'm like, she could probably be a star in WNBA. Because I saw her, you know, them playing around. I'm like, oh, she's actually pretty good. So that just that was really just extremely disheartening. And then, like, his legacy to certain NBA players. Like, we talk about Trey Young and especially Kyrie Irving, Chris Paul, LeBron. Like, they're all connected, mellow. We've all seen their Instagram posts. We're not going to go through all of the posts. But basically, everyone was just saying how much he met them, how much he helped them. Like, on the when, when you're playing against them, he's not helping you at all. He's beating you up. He's elbowing you. He's fighting you. He's talking trash to you. But off the court, he would do anything to help you. Because at first, he had the confidence in himself that even if he told you how to beat him, you still couldn't do it. That, for one. Two, I mean, he, just, he was genuinely a nice person off the court again. Because, again, you know, on the court, it was a, a flip. That's why that's where the Mamba mentality comes from. It didn't take anything to provoke him. Even his friends, he would flip one on the court. I mean, we've seen that with Dwight Howard, even Shaq. Like, Shaq and him are, like, we're, like, very close off the court, even though after that debacle they had in L.A. But on the court, they, you know, they would bicker and, you know. But it was just like an on and off switch that he knew how to flip on. And that was the biggest thing was how do you, how do you go from such a nice guy to this guy that just has, like, this intense you know, grit about him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so I, yeah, because I was thinking, because you know, people always talk about you know how Jordan as their era, like back in it, like older people. Yeah. Jordan was their era. Kobe was our Jordan for our era. So you know, a lot of people looked up to Kobe. Like a lot of people back in the day looked up to Jordan, and you know they try to do their games off of Jordan. A lot of people looked up to Kobe and their mama mentality Definitely. and used it like that. So it. It's sad, you know, seeing how all these players, you know, they looked up to him. And now, you know, that guy is gone at an early age. It just, it's heartbroken. Yeah, and the last thing I just really have to add is, I don't know, I've seen that the NBA has been doing a lot of stuff to, like, make him, you know, immortal in the NBA world. Like, of course, like the second violations, the statues, the players changing their jerseys. Like, I saw Mo Heartless, who's people like, he's like a power four for the Clippers. I think he's, what is he's third, second string power four. He's average. But regardless, he was wearing number eight for the Los Angeles Clippers, and of course they played in the Staples Center along with the Lakers. So basically he changed his number eight jersey to a number 11 jersey because he wanted to honor Kobe. That was, like, big to me. I'm like, well, I wouldn't have even thought of, you know, that's just, you're going over, you know, if that's your favorite player, that's just somebody that truly inspired you, you'll think of things that really go above and beyond to, you know, to immortalize them. So I just thought, I thought that was huge, and I, you know I think Spencer Dinwiddie changed his number eight too. Yeah, that was insane. Plus, Dinwiddie's having an amazing season. You know, you, some people think that that's like bad luck change your number mid season, but it's you know it's just Kobe. So people are just showing mad love, and I just I think that's amazing. I think the NBA should do that. I have been seeing like this logo thing. I don't think they should do that. I think they yeah. should give that time until it's not as raw. Like it's a, it's a pretty raw um, wound right now, and I'm like okay. 
I the logo that it was a nice looking logo. I can't hate on that. But I, if anybody should have been the logo, it should have been Jordan. Even though I'm a LeBron guy, but I think Jordan just should have been a logo because he just the way he changed the league. You know what I'm saying? But so I understand that for Kobe, and I wouldn't be upset if they changed it because Jerry West is the logo. Do I really care too much about Jerry West? No, he's an amazing GM and was an amazing player. But you know what I'm getting into. Um, but you have anything? It, it, just the last thing is about the logo thing that you've seen. Mm, I love Kobe, but I don't really think there should be a change of logo. That's I, too soon. Yeah, too just wrong. too soon, too you wrong. know. And I would expect somebody like LeBron or Michael Jordan to be consideration before Kobe. Even though I respect, you know, I respect Kobe so much and everything that he's done. But the logo is steep. That's the logo steep. Logo a little steep. That's it's steep. a little steep. Um, but anyway, we're going to transition now to, a, you know, a pretty fun topic. I've been seeing him on a lot of different shows lately. You know, Malcolm's one of his favorite shows, First Take. He also was on Undisputed, and I think he was on Colin, like, last month. Yeah, he was on Get Up. I yeah, think, he, no, was he was on, on Get Up, too. Yeah, he was on Get Up. Um, but anyway, like, which team do you think could use Andre Iguodala the most at the trade deadline? Or the buyout? Because he's, he's, no one's going to actually trade for his contract, but when the buyout comes after the deadline. Um, so for this one, I, I'm saying a team maybe not that really needs Andre Iguodala, but to able to bolster and have the threat of, you know, having your rival not get Andre Iguodala would be great. And I think I it would that. be the Clippers, all right? I feel that. Uh let's just start first. All right. Just imagine. All right. Let's let's go ahead and just think about this lineup. All right. You have Andre Iguodala, Louis Williams. Kawhi Leonard, Matrez Harold, and Paul George. No now Pat you telling me that? Huh, no, no Pat Bev. No, not, no That's Pat Bev. Dog though. But you have versatility in Andre Iguodala though. I I feel that, but Patrick Bev is there. Like that's their. That's their like what's the what's the what's the word like what, like, like their ground dog. He, he was like, thinking, he was, okay yeah I understand. Iguodala can do that, but he's, he's like he's their defensive anchor, which I understand. Like he's that he's person. their anchor. You know he like Mark Smart for the Boston Celtics. Yeah, he's, he's not just like that. I mean, he's yeah. scoring, but that's not his primary job. He scores when he's open, but his job, they don't run plays for you. I know, but yeah. you're looking at Andre Iguodala. You're talking about defensive versatility. Who's going to guard he from one get, to five? Yeah. You know that's that's something that we had to say about Marcus Smart and Patrick Beverly. Marcus Smart can guard multiple positions, as in yes. Patrick Beverly can only guard guards. So well, Andre. Godala, you have multiple positions with him, Kawhi Leonard, who guards multiple positions, and Paul George, who guards multiple positions. You got Machez Hill, who's a defender. You got Louis Williams, all he does is score. So you have scores on your team, you have defenders on your team, and it's just great for the, for the Clippers. And just imagine playing against the Lakers, all right? You already have more talent than the Lakers. So just imagine. So they say. With adding, uh, adding mm-hmm. Andre Iguodala to that fold, you, I don't think you understand how good this team will be. Like, Jerry West has already put yeah, a very good Hall team. Of Fame GM. You know, already put a good team already. And just imagine, like, he's put Andre Iguodala to the Clippers? What? Like, come on, man. I understand it, but I feel like that would be almost too many wings. I guess you could never have too many wings, like, not have too many shooters, but Especially that's just so many wings, and they all kind of do the same skill set. Like, you have no – like, your best playmaker on the floor is Iguodala, who's – Decent, but he's not like you know what I'm saying like a guard guard who really playmaker for anybody. I think the Clippers really their biggest thing is they need like a rim runner like a Javel or somebody that can defend and you know because Montrez is very good but he's only six eight. 
he can only guard. I mean, he can, he's going to guard AD pretty hard. Yeah, he's guard AD decently in the games they've played. AD's also been hurt, kind of. You know how he gets sometimes. He take a couple games off. He, he was healthy those two games though. A little Joel Embiidish type sometimes, but I mean, well, not not as bad as Joel. Joel takes fifty percent of his games off, <laughs> but. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, there's a couple games off. But I, they need, like, Drummond wouldn't fit because he's a, not that good. He's a decent defender, but he can't switch with the guards. They need somebody that can, I don't know, I'm trying to think who who's a good, like, big that can switch them to guards. And, well, not really guards, but maybe small forwards and bigs. They need somebody like that, like a Capella can sometimes do that. Some, you know, $14 million, $14 million guy, but more versatile. But anyway, I think Iguodala would, like, of course, fit best on the Lakers based on need and fit. Because Lakers really need another playmaker. Eagle Dollar could be a good second or third playmaker. I'm assuming, I'm not sure if they would keep Rondo and Eagle Dollar because you don't want them on the same floor at the same time. But at the same time, they do both have championship experience. Can you really have enough championship experience? That's definitely, you definitely can never have too much championship experience. So, I mean, in the playoffs, you know they'll both show up. Rondo has been having an average season, but Rondo's every year in the playoffs has been good every year of his career. So I'm going to have to bet on that. It's like I bet on Lamar Jackson being bad this year's playoffs based on his track record. So, I mean, I don't know. I just like the fit. Like, I just – I mean, then – because, like, the Lakers version of Patrick Beverly is either Avery Bradley, KCP, or Danny Green. They kind of have, like, different games. They both do that. Avery Bradley is definitely their best defender, though. But he gets – you know, everybody's kind of injury-prone from a Boston fan, you should know. (laughs) <laughs> Everybody's pretty like yeah. it's just always something hammy contusion blah blah blah. So I mean they if they add Eagle Dollar that means they would have just more defensive players to a team that's top three in defensive rating anyway. So um, I think Eagle Dollar would be a great fit based based on his playmaking defensive versatility as you already listed with the Clippers. But for this he would be icy guarding either probably Kawhi or Paul George not the whole game but in crunch moments they would have a, another body to throw in them because right now they have Avery. Danny Green, KCP, but Iguodala will be the best matchup based on size, speed. Also, he's rested. He hasn't played all season. He hasn't played all season. So he's rested. I, mean, I just think that the lineup wouldn't be as great as a Clippers lineup. And then the fact is that Andre Iguodala is not a scorer. Hmm. And, you know, you're adding – the Lakers have problems with scoring. Uh, not as in LeBron and AD because they're going to give you the score. But other than LeBron and AD – Who's going to be scoring for them? Kuzma has his on and off days. You never know what you're going to get from Kuzma. Yeah, that's that, that's the biggest X factor by the NBA right now is Kyle Kuzma. If he can somehow get it going, it's like oh yeah, they'll be yeah, good. they'll be good. But right now he's yeah. not doing that. Uh, he he has his little moments, but you little, know yeah, he's not doing that. I mean, what for the Clippers? What I thought the Clippers should get is Nolan's Noel, and I and I like that. I I think they should get Nolan's Noel. That'd be a good pickup. Yeah. But I just think Andre Iguodala added into the Clippers. I think. You are, they're already championship contenders. That elevates them to uh, to even, like, you know, maybe to win the championship. Yeah, I'm trying to think, like, what would Iguodala want to do more? Because, I mean, one of the most famous players in NBA history is when, he's, was, when he got blocked by LeBron. I was like, would you want to play for that guy? But do we really know in today's NBA, like, Durant went to the team that beat him. So, at this point, does that even really – can we even use that? It as don't a, really matter. This day yeah, it doesn't really, really matter what happens. Also, I think he still respects LeBron. He respects his game. So, it's mm-hmm. not like that type of – thing but I mean I don't know I feel like he would be used more with the Lakers so I don't know if that's a factor for him or does he think that if he goes to the Clippers that they're more championship ready because you know they do have Doc Rivers I mean they have also they have Tyron Lue on the bench they also have Sam Cassell on the bench so they have the best coaching staff in the NBA like by far yeah, and it's with preserved, those coaches yeah, and it's preserving him for another year you know what I'm saying yeah, all he, black he, coaching he staff said he, yeah he said he planned on 
playing more years, you know. And I think that when the Clippers, he has a lot less to do just to fit. And he'll be fine passing the ball, just like he did with Golden State Warriors. So I just think that it will translate yeah. with the Clippers. I think the Lakers, he have more responsibility that I just think he would love to. But if you're talking about, well, I think that's good for you, you know, I just think it's the Clippers. Yeah, so basically it's just, what does Eagle Dollar want to do? Does he want to do, you know, a little bit less? He's probably going to see the Clippers. He wants to do just a little bit more, have a slightly larger role, play probably 25-ish minutes a game. He's probably going to the Lakers. Now we're gonna move on to one of like the greatest documentaries I've seen in like the last year or so. Uh, like, what are your thoughts about this Aaron Hernandez documentary? Uh huh. Um, I really got mixed reviews on it. Um, Very. Uh, first, you know, what can, what do you say? Like, CTE is crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like that. When you have CTE, it's crazy. Like. Kids, people who play football, just make sure, man, when you have concussions or you think you have concussions, make sure you get a checkup because things like CTE will really mess up your life and you would not understand. And number one, football is a physical sport. And sometimes people think that, you know, not reporting to medical staff, you know, thinking that they report to medical staff all the time, they'll be called soft complaining about everything, but this is about your health. Your health comes first because at the end of the day, football is not forever, all right? And this is another example of what CTE can do with you. And, you know, it, Aaron, Aaron Hernandez had all these concussions that he didn't report. And he, he said that on his uh, as a documentary. He said a lot of stuff about how he had concussions and stuff like that. But... The stuff that happened to him, like, he was two different people. Like, that that was just the weird part about it, you know. It was just different, you know, seeing that, you know, Aaron Hernandez on the field, everybody said that, man, he was just, like, a very good teammate, you know. He, he talked. He was that fun guy to talk to. And then Aaron Hernandez off the field, he was a killer, you know what I'm saying. He, he had that attitude, you know. He just was explosive, you know. Yeah. And it was just crazy. But another thing I didn't like about is when they talked about his sexuality and how that came into focus, you know. Yeah, it threw me off. It, it threw me off the lie. fact that, that are we talking about Aaron Hernandez or we just want to explain more about what he has going on? Like, is that really respectful to explain stuff like that, to talk yeah. about stuff like that? And that's something that, you know, that really bothered me because, you know, you ain't really have to say nothing about that. That's something Aaron Hernandez has between him. He did not announce it before he died, so why would you, you know, Announce it afterwards, and you know that—that's something that explains. Especially when they had that that the um, office alignment, he had nothing to do with Aaron Hernandez. Oh, that was very yeah, random. Yeah, and he was over there still talking. And then I—I I did some research, and they said I seen somebody said something about it. I think it was on Twitter about the person who said that the the dude that was talking all the time was a quarterback who was you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was supposed to be in a relationship with yeah. as a kid though. Yeah, they said that um, he wasn't the starting quarterback, so you know. It was just weird. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if there's accurate stuff to the story. That's why I said I had mixed reviews. I mean, I like how it showed how CTE can do with you because you, stuff like that, you know, that's that yeah, stuff happens. Real. You know, I'm glad that they showed that. But the other things, I just thought they just should have just kept that private. So, Yeah, I think the documentary was, like, overall a good documentary. It doesn't mean I enjoyed watching it. But, like, you know, sometimes you can watch a movie, like, I really 
that movie was like sad as crap. But like it was it was put together good. The acting was good. That's why I think about the Aaron Hernandez documentary. Basically, like it was. I don't know. It made me. I couldn't even watch all three episodes in one day. It was just very heavy. Like, <laughs> I watched it all in one day though. So. Like, it was so heavy. I feel like I've seen that documentary like ten times already. Like I have literally watched it once, but I feel like I've seen that story like in life like ten times. So it just was very heavy. Like then it was. It just seemed like a guy that was really a nice kid, but kind of wanted to be kind of thuggish. When it seemed like like the biggest thing, like the biggest change they were talking about in the documentary, if you all haven't seen it yet. It's basically like once his father died, his mom literally got in a relationship two months after with a with with his cousin's former husband. And it was just like really messy. And then the, the cousin's former husband ended up living with them. And one of the biggest things was like the his cousin's dad was like, why would a 16-year-old boy want to see his mom in his dad's old bed with somebody that he knew as a husband to his cousin? Like that just that would just literally make you go on. So I couldn't even imagine what I would do to seek attention if like if that happened to me. Like, I really could not imagine that. Thank God for my mother and not doing something <laughs> that insane because I can see, not saying I would kill somebody, of course, but that I can see how that can make you try new stuff. And by trying new stuff, there goes a, a like a paper ball effect. It's bigger and bigger. You start doing more and more and more. I think he started smoking more. He said he started going to his cousin's house more, which introduced him to the, to the gang members that he ended up killing the guy with. They never really explained why the guy was killed. Like it, it, that was the weirdest part. But they, the greatest thing about the documentary is they showed like his life. Like it was showing like all of these police records where like all these things were dropped. Like when he was going to the University of Florida, he had, like three charges dropped. Like technically his name wasn't on the document, so it's technically hearsay in court. They couldn't use this against him in court because his name was not on the document. You could only assume that because again the charges were like no one filed anything after the incident happened. Like one thing like he didn't want to pay like a bar so he like punched the guy and yeah. the other one like he jumped, they jumped someone. It was just all these like violent acts. I'm like, this guy is supposed to be like this nice yeah. Hispanic kid that's like smiley with dimples. And, yeah. But in the back end you seem like you have some type of something going on. Like this is maybe the CTE or maybe you have anger issues or maybe you're a wannabe. One of those three things are going on or maybe all three at one time. It was insane in that way. And like, then it was crazy because you know he he killed somebody before he got his $60 million contract. The month before. Yeah. It was yeah. the same month. It was in August. I think he got paid in August or September, but one of the, it was, like it was a like month he, span. He, he killed somebody, got a contract extension. $40 million, yeah. $40 million, and he played the whole season. And had a grip. I think it was a pro, like an all pro. Like he was, if you did all the Iron Hernandez was like really good. Like people were like, should they keep Gronk or Aaron Hernandez? Like that's how good he was yeah. at one point. Like, they were going to keep both, but. It was it's just the principle. He also caught like a touchdown to Super Bowl. I remember that we that I thought at the time the pitchers were gonna win a Super Bowl. Of course, I think I think that was the Eli Super Bowl. Eli ended up throwing like, that crazy pass to Manny yeah, and they ended up winning. But Aaron Hernandez had the touchdown to put them up in the fourth quarter. So he was that big of a playmaker. Also, he, if you remember, he um, went in the draft at 20 years old. That's insane. Yeah, he was young. He was really young. 20 years old. You you were drafted. That's that's. Insane. But, but then I understand, you know, when I watched the video, uh, watched the movie, um, the documentary, and I mean, Urban Meyer told him he had to leave. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I guess there was more to the story, you know. Um, he did have a lot of off the field issues in Florida yeah, and stuff like that. So Urban Urban Myers wanted him to leave, you know, because you know, I think there was somewhere he was not going to come back to Florida. So yeah. it's wild that the whole. 
documentaries, wow. And I feel like it's a learning lesson for people who are football players who just, you know, who think that, you know, not checking up on yourself and not checking up on your mental health and stuff like that, yes. well, you know, it, it's just not cool. Number one, like, football is not going to last forever. I know I just said that, but I'm going to say it again. Football does not last forever. So it's important to check up on your, your health, especially if you have concussion or you feel any type of, like symptoms for you feel concussion, sad, yes. angry, etc. Like, go ahead and get checked up, man. Depression, stuff yes. like this happens, and it's bad. Look at Antonio Brown. I really think he has CTE, but that's another thing for another time. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Just like I don't know. I've read that. I've read the article. Like just especially as like a black man or a minority man, just check up on yourself. Like you know, yeah. self growth. You know, stuff like that. But the last thing I have to say about the Aaron doc, the Aaron Hernandez documentary. Is I think the thing that hurt him the most was being drafted by New England. Not because of culture, but he's from Connecticut and yeah, it's Boston. I said, that's terrible So luck. close. If it was like California or something, it would be yeah, a lot better. All of his but, friends were like, know? dang, why couldn't he go to the Chargers? If he went to the Chargers, he would have never came home. And this would have never happened. Well, I'm not going to say it never would have happened. But the likelihood based on, you know, just percentages of mileage, blah, 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 would have went down significantly. Sure. So that was... That was that was pretty bad. Also, I mean, he was making bad decisions. Like, if you remember, he killed the guy like three blocks from his from his house. Come on, he killed the he killed the guy at the closest park to his house. He wore eleven Jordan Elevens, which everyone knows is like the most like unique sole. So if you step in mud, like you're gonna see the Jordan Eleven sole. It was just it was, it, it was so just, sloppy. It was just crazy because I mean, he didn't kill him like three blocks away. He killed him somewhere else, but he put the body three blocks away. Yeah. So it's just like in, in a neighborhood where you know. Nobody, yeah, you have like no crimes. Yeah, you have no crimes or nothing like that. The fact that you put the body right there, you didn't dig it up or nothing like that. You just kept it right there. It just shows, like, a lot. You know what I'm saying? Like, you wasn't fully understanding, like, what you was doing. And it's sad. That's it. That's all I got to say about that documentary. But, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, I mean, y'all should go watch it. Y'all, you know, you got to drop questions. If you have your own opinions, drop it in the comments. But anyway, now we're going to move on to the NFL. And, you know, Super Bowl is upcoming. I think it's this Sunday. Um, but anyway, Super Bowl's coming this week. Um, now we're just going to talk about our Super Bowl picks. Now, who do you have winning this game, Malcolm? Uh, see, I was thinking about it. And I was really thinking about it. But at the end of the day, I don't really need to think about it. I think it's the 49ers. Uh, you got to think about this. If you look at the last, you know, teams who won a championship, it's the Patriots, Correct. You could say that the Patriots was a complete team. Can you say that? Yeah, I've seen better teams, but somehow You've they seen always better teams, win. But you could say that. Yeah, they you could say win. that he was a complete team. A complete yeah. team. All right. So the Eagles, they were a complete team, right? Uh, the only team that I could say after these last couple teams that I seen who've won the championship, I could say that the Broncos was wasn't really a complete team. Yeah. They was really a a defensive team that won a championship. But had like a running back. Had a running back and everything like that. Yeah. But after all these other teams, they had these were complete teams. Mm -hmm. So look at the 49ers. They have one of the best defenses in the league, correct? One of the best defensive lines in the league. Um, they have showed it in the playoffs against Kirk Cousins, who has been struggling, uh, who struggled against them, only, only completed like – he only had 100-something yards, had six sacks, you know. And then, you know, against Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers here, all right, that bad man Aaron Rodgers. 
He struggled too, had two touchdowns, two interceptions, and he had three sacks too. This defensive line is is really good. It reminds me of back in the old days, you know, not in the old days, that Colin Kaepernick era, the 49ers, that defense, that's what the 49ers defense reminds me of now. They're a lot faster than what it was before. And they were beasts back then. Yeah, they was beasts back then, but, you know, they're good now. And their linebacker core, which is featuring Quan Alexander, who's one of the best coverage linebackers in the league. Yeah. And the fact that they were good when Quan Alexander was injured and, you know, when he came back, it was like they never missed a beat. They're still doing good. And their secondary is very good, too. So you have that very good defense, and you complement it with one of the best running attacks in the league, all right? Mm-hmm. And you have one of the best passing games in the league with Jimmy Garoppolo as your quarterback, and you have uh, George Kittle, who's your tight end, which is one of the best tight ends in the league, if not the best. And the Emmanuel Sanders pickup, which I did tell y'all about on the podcast, you know, that how True. Emmanuel Sanders is going to help help them get to the Super Bowl. And look at this now. <laughs> Emmanuel Sanders helped them get to the Super Bowl. And Debo Samuels and all the other receiving core, they have a very good roster. And think about this. Kyle Shanahan is the game planner, all right? He's the offensive coordinator. He's the head coach. Even though he's not the official, he's the head coach. Yeah. But he's calling the plays and everything like that. Yeah. You have Kyle Shanahan as your head coach. And he's been on the road lately, all right? And if you look at these running backs, Mozart, you know, Tevin Coleman, you know, yeah, Matt Breida. Throwaways. And you know what's crazy? These are throwaways in their prized possession that they had two years ago that they signed to a big contract. He's and Jared McKinnon has yet to play the two years that he's played. And they have a top two rushing attack. So it's just crazy, like, how, like, how good this team is. And if you look at the last couple of games, like, okay, against Tennessee Titans, they ran the ball. Mm-hmm. And that slowed down the, you know, slowed down the 49ers. And, not the 49ers, but slowed down the um, the Chiefs. But eventually, you know, it caught up to them. And the, even though the Titans had a very good, you know, offensive uh, team last yeah. year, it isn't, they wasn't really a good passing team. It wasn't they couldn't as come good. back Yeah, you know far. what I'm saying? It wasn't as good as the 49ers. They really was going off rush, uh, running the ball, running the football and everything like that. But with the 49ers, they can pass the ball. They can run uh, run the ball. Um, the 49ers is one of the top teams in time of possession. So just imagine yeah. having, you know, holding the ball that long and having that defense be able to take care of you. It's just crazy. I'm just telling you. Yeah, the 49ers is like the definition of like the modern offense ish with like some old offense. Because like they run the ball a lot, but they also motion 75% of the time, mm-hmm. which is insane. Like you motion in three fourths, like every three out of four plays, you're, somebody's just moving. It's probably Debo or Manson, because Debo's running the ball like three times a game. Like he's a running back, he's yeah. a plays receiver. Um, you might run it with Kittle. I mean, it's insane. I do love watching the offense. The biggest, the, people are very surprised by the 49ers this year. I, mean, I really wasn't because. It seemed like speed is a new thing in the NFL. Like you have speed, size isn't that important anymore. It's more about speed, 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 speed. Like, like why is uh, Matt Breida so good? Why is Coleman so good? Why is Moses so good? Like they all are like four, four running backs. Like you know, Breida was like is is probably the fastest one. He doesn't even get as much burn as the other two. Mm-hmm. And Breida's probably the fastest one. He's going to hit for agency this year, so we'll see. They probably won't be able to retain him. But the Cowboys game? Nah, <laughs> we not going to do that. <laughs> but. <laughs> But I don't know. Um, I personally still think the Chiefs are going to win because at the end of the day, they do that the best. The 49ers do have a better defense than the Chiefs, but the Chiefs' defense has stepped up. 
Like, they're not the 49ers defense because, of course, they don't have Nick Bosa. It's not their second. Like, he's, like, their second-best passer. Like, they still have uh, Eric Armstead, DeForest Buck. Like, they still have four or five guys if somebody gets tired. Mm-hmm. So, of course, they don't have that. But they do have Frank Clark, who's been playing amazing in this playoffs. They have the Honey Badger. Um, I think they, they still have Breland. Breland's been playing decent. He's a size corner, so he's – He's not the best player against the 49ers, but basically because they don't have any size guys. Yeah. So they'll probably put him on like a Kittle, and they'll probably bring or Samuel. So that'll be a good match. Yeah, they'll probably bring Tyron Matthew. That he's so versatile, he can be a corner if you need to play a slot, or he could be a safety. Um, of course, you still have Anthony Hitchens, Raglan, Chris Jones is probably the best pass rushing D tackle. Besides, of course, Aaron Donald, who's just in his own class of pass rushing D tackles or just D tackles period. So he's probably second best in that. Um, I, I think the Chiefs are gonna come to play. I really, I think Andy Reid like really needs this championship. I'm gonna be very upset if he doesn't win. It. I just feel like he deserves it. Like all these coaches, like the Kyle Shanahan's and the Sean McVay's, all these coaches, like why? Is, like they're literally copying Andy Reid's. Like, this is Andy Reid's offense. This is his concepts. Like so for him, like Doug Peterson has a championship before Andy Reid. That's the guy that Andy Reid literally taught. He wasn't even calling plays with Andy Reid. He got a job just for being on Andy Reid's staff. Now he's calling his own plays. Like, you have a championship before you're a mentor. Like, I just, I just feel like Andy Reid just deserves it. It's been so many years of innovation and all these different things. And now you have Andy Reid plus the best quarterback prospect since Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck. So, I mean, arm talent, accuracy, et cetera. And right now I think he's been number one in, like, QBR since week 10, which is when he came back from his knee injury. So I'm a, let me go and make sure I want to note something, all right? So I understand how good the Chiefs' offense is. They're like one of the best offenses in the league. Da 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 da. But as you look, as we see, defensive win championships. That's correct. Let's look at the last time that you know a very top, you know, a top offensive team came into the league. And, you know, came into the Super Bowl, riding high, and lost. Um, we can just look at to the Rams and the pa- uh, Patriots. Patriots had a good defense. Yeah. The Rams came in. With one of the best offenses in the league, first year head, one of the he was a new head coach. That new head Andy coach was never going to well, score twelve. Well, well, actually, game. this was you know Sean McVay's second year. Yeah. I mean, he had he had a little bit of experience with him. All right, let me give you that one. Um, the Denver Broncos and Seattle Seahawks. I know you remember that one of the best offense offensive teams of all time, and Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning had the record, and they was riding high. Beat the Patriots. They was coming to the Super Bowl riding high with the. The Seattle Seahawks, who had one of the best defenses in the league. They did. The score was 43-8, Seahawks. Um, but Payne, all I can say about that is Payne Manning literally has a record of playing his worst football in the playoffs. I love Payne Manning. He's one of my favorite players ever, but that's not – he's not Tom Brady in the playoffs. Like, I, wouldn't, I mean, you know, when we saw when Brady and Nick Foles won, like Nick Foles beat Brady. Like, it can happen, but, like, none of the – like, that was just a straight offensive battle. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I feel what you're saying, but at the end of the day, I'm just telling you that defensive win championships, offensive just makes you, you know, gets you there. You know what I'm saying? Uh, another thing is, you know, a lot of people have a lot of, you know, bad things to say about 49ers since it's their first year, you know, being good. They were just bad, now they're good. I want to make sure y'all understand this, all right? The 49ers did have a, a rough schedule, all right? It wasn't, no, it wasn't easy nah, by any means. Up. Definitely not. They was in one of the hardest, well, the hardest division in all of football. Seattle Rams. With Seattle Rams. Oh, Cardinals were decent this they, year. Yeah, they, Cardinals were decent. defense. Yeah, exactly. So. And, you know, and you had the 49ers. They was in one of the, they was in the hardest conference in the league, which is the NFC. Definitely. They have played in many games. Uh, 
the two games that they lost to, which was like it was like the Baltimore Ravens and the Seattle Seahawks, those games were off of field goals. Tough teams, yeah. And it was not like they got blown out or nothing. They had had test after test after test that they have played against. They understand what to do to win. They've been there. They played against Minnesota Vikings, beat them, 27-10. Went into Lambeau Field, not Lambeau Field, but you know they played. Uh, they played Green Bay with a veteran quarterback and Aaron Rodgers, beat them. It just shows that test after test they've been winning their tests, and now that they had this whole year. A bunch of all these, like, if you think of school, all right, you have all these quizzes and tests. You're trying to get ready for your exam. They have been through everything. They passed every test, all right? They might have to fail this one or fail this one, but they passed every single test, and they're ready for the exam. And I feel like with the 49ers, they're ready for their, their exam. They're ready for the Super Bowl, and I feel like they will show it. And eventually, the next podcast, we'll talk about how they won. I don't believe that. I mean, going back to this test analogy that Malcolm loves to use, I mean, the Chiefs are basically like if you get the perfect score in math, but, like, your reading score is still advanced. It's not proficient still. It's, you know, it's advanced. It's, it's not perfect like your math score. But you still did overall, and you still end up getting, like, a 1,400. So you're still pretty good. You know what I'm saying? I just, I just have so much faith in Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid to pull this out. And it's just really just that simple for me. I, I don't believe the 49ers. I love the defense. Don't believe they'll be able to stop the Chiefs. They'll score at least 30. I'm I'm counting on that. They'll score 30. The 49ers can score 32. They'd rather not get into that type of game, though. Because then that bye bye, well, they, they'll stay Lloyd's over in game. But you, Jimmy G's been playing pretty good this playoffs, but I just don't want him battling Patrick Mahomes. That's the last resort for the 49ers. Even though they, they have been getting more, more and more weapons, but I mean, you have they have Sammy, who hasn't even really been used, Nicole Hardman, Reek, Travis Kelsey. Deshaun McCoy has yet to touch the ball in the playoffs. It's just been Damian Williams. He's just been six yards a, a touch, seven yards a touch. I just, you know, I just have faith in the Chiefs. And like I said, their defense has been looking really good. Their pass rush is – that's also the reason why you don't want to get behind with the Chiefs because they can rush the passer. They might not be able to stop the run as good, which that's the 49ers' best way to succeed is just to pound it down the Chiefs. But the Derrick Henry-led Titans tried to do that. Derrick Henry, I think, had like 70 yards. He was having like, what, 180 mm-hmm. a game before that? You know what I mean? You have to take grains of salt because the reason why he didn't have any yards is they ended up falling behind. If you understand in the NFL, you can't run the ball down 14. Um, and also, Ryan Tannehill is not Jimmy Garoppolo. It's not close. But So I'm not comparing him because Jimmy Garoppolo is significically better than Ryan Tannehill. And, and then, you know, but, you know the offensive saying. game planner is not Kyle Shanahan. He's, he's pretty good, though. Let's not forget that. He's pretty good. He's pretty good. But he's not Kyle Shanahan. He's not Kyle Shanahan. But Kyle Shanahan is not Andy Reid. Because nobody can say Andy Reid's Andy Reid. Like, that, that's, it's Andy Reid and it's McVay. Then it's probably, gosh, I even though McVay had a bad year, quote, unquote. But more golf had a bad year. But I think Kyle Shanahan is probably third best offensive play caller. About third. But Andy Reid just has to be one based on that he's, it's like he invented the scheme. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't know. It's like Bill, it's like Bill Belichick, like, invented, you know, like, how to play, like, the, the, the cover three high safety with the big corners. You know what I'm saying? But, I mean, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but if you look at Kyle Shanahan's offenses back to when he was in Washington, if you even look at, not even just Kyle Shanahan, if you look at his father, Mike Shanahan, and how, like, same his offense, offense it's the same <laughs> offense, you know, how he did with these running backs. These running backs came out of nowhere and came and became good, like Alfred Morris of them, you know yes. what I'm saying, like Roy, he 1,600 yards season with Alfred yeah, Morris. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, Insane. like 1,600, 1,500, like, he had a, 
<laughs> we thought he was going to be one of the best running backs. You know what I'm saying? And then, you know, you had, like, Roy Hulu. Then you went to, you know. <laughs> yeah, Roy, Roy Hulu, yes. Yeah, yeah. And then he, you remember he went to, you know, Cleveland and, you know, I don't remember. That's when they had Peyton Hillis. Peyton, well, he didn't have Peyton Hillis, but he had, he had Trent Richardson. But Trent Richardson had, like, Oh, that was his DC year. Yeah, he had, like, a couple touchdowns, but that's it. But um, when he went to Atlanta and he had Devontae Freeman Tevin and Coleman. them boys, Tevin Go- Paul Coleman and those boys, like, those were that – was, that was a real good attack, mm-hmm. especially when he came down to, you know, San Francisco. And you see what he's doing now with the running backs there. Yeah. So it, it, I'm just saying, like, you know, even though I know McVay had a, a very good, you know, outline of what he did, you know, yeah, especially yeah. when he played with – a especially when he was court, uh, coordinated for the Redskins. But at the end of the day, <laughs> the Shanahan's had a whole timeline of what they do. So it's a lot of success that they had. And I feel like, you know, Mike Shanahan, you know, he's been to Super Bowl. He understands what yeah, it takes. Definitely. You know, Kyle Shanahan has understand what it took. He went to the Super Bowl, too, with the offense that he had with Atlanta Falcons. He understands what it takes. So now, like, you know, I feel like he's more prepared. And with Andy Reid, he only been to Super Bowl once, you know, as a head coach. Yeah, yeah you got you know McNabb throwing up, and he yeah. doesn't have that guy anymore. Yeah, he, so, yeah. I mean, I know it's different. You know, it's not McNabb, it's Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, like, but at the end of the day, you know, you have a very good defense and a, ve- and a very good offense. I feel like the more complete team will have a chance to win, and that's it. Hey, my last thing to say is let's get ready for the fireworks show. Hey. I, I don't believe this will just be low scoring. I think each team will at least have – 24. I, I think this will that. be. I don't think it'll be like last year's Super Bowl, which was I trash. Think, I think the winner will be winning by at least 10 or 15 points. Really? So you think whoever wins is going to be up? Yeah, about 10 or 15 points. I'm, I'm going to give it like a seven point spread. Whoever wins probably win by either a touchdown. I'm going to give it a seven point spread, which I think will be the Chiefs, of course. But anyway, I mean, thanks for tuning into our podcast. This is our fifth episode. Um, we've been so excited to get back and do this. This is something we both just love so much. Um, please, you know, subscribe, um, definitely follow us, leave comments, questions, you know, so we can like implement some questions if y'all have questions in the podcast. Yeah, so I'm just going to make sure my, my Instagram is call me underscore Malcolm. I'm going to make sure I say that. So y'all can just follow me on Instagram, you know, hit me up, uh, tell me about things y'all want, you know, want to talk about in the show. You know, if y'all want me to talk about a topic, you know, so I can just beat Ron in the argument like I always do, I most definitely will because I'm always loving it. So just hit me up, though. So, yeah. Yeah, and peace. All right. All right.